I mean, I love Don't Stop Believing by Journey, but it's not the same thing as Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, it's just a different thing. And so I, I, I just, I just thought that there was, um, you know, an ambition and, uh, um, sort of a literary quality to some of his best work. And I thought he was really good at writing lyrics that were direct Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. And joining me today is a local, a DFW, fellow DFW fan, uh, Keith Campbell. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I am so thrilled. Uh, we were just, we, we've actually probably already had an episode that we've talked before I started recording. Um, but Keith happened to, he made the mistake that many of you have. He mentioned a Springsteen lyric in a tweet, and I jumped on it <laughs> and reached out to him. So I uh, asked him to join me, and he said he was glad to. So why don't you tell us, your, my listeners, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, glad to. I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, by the way. And uh, as soon as I saw saw your uh your uh, ask i was like i'm all in so the uh uh deal is i, I i've been a sprint fan since about 1980 uh so we're going on almost 40 years and um i i live here in dallas i'm the managing editor of the dallas morning news and so i run that day-to-day operation in the newsroom um responsible for all the content uh, that's on the on the website at dallasnews.com and I'm also responsible for the content in the printed edition of the, of the morning news and uh, I know you're a subscriber and I really appreciate it and for anybody else who uh, is interested in local news Subscribe to the Dallas Morning News if you're in the DFW area. And if you're a Cowboys fan and you're somewhere in the world, subscribe to us and you'll get the best sports coverage you want. Uh, you, you really do. Uh, you know, I, um, I, I have been a subscriber since I've been here. I was telling Keith before, I have reached the point where I don't do a print edition anymore uh, because it's so much easier to do it on, you know, my tablet or on the website. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It just it, it's just the reality of the world. Uh, but yes, I um, I'm always uh, enjoy reading. And I picked it, Keith, a little bit um, as we're recording this. And this probably won't come out for a couple weeks. But as we're recording this right now, the uh, Dallas Stars just fired their coach. And I said, Hey, Keith. Um, are you too busy having your investigative <laughs> journalist look into this to still talk to me? And he said, no, 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 still have time, still have time. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I always have time to talk about Bruce. And yeah. yeah, you're right. What a story about uh, the Dallas Stars firing 
quite quite a lot of questions. Oh, a lot of questions. Yeah, and and the so obvious joke was really that's the Dallas coach that got fired. Um, yeah, though, exactly. if Jason is listening, I have nothing but love for you, um, yeah. and I want you to be on the show for me because you know he's a huge Springsteen fan. Yeah, have you and, had Babe Lothenberg on? I have not. Babe and I have explained. I he has said he wants to do it, and then we just kind of never find the right time and then yeah. you know we he just lost his son so yeah, I, I know but yeah i i i would love to have babe on i i think he would, yeah, be, would be great yeah it would be um <laughs> in fact and i promise we'll get to this show but I, <laughs> for the longest time with all my sports sports buddies you know my fellow people who listen to the ticket and all this stuff i'm like I want Jason to succeed because he's a Springsteen fan. <laughs> They're like, that yeah. is the dumbest reason to support a coach. I'm like, yes, but he's this huge fan. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I want to see him do well. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, it's been hilarious. And it, uh, we will see how the drama plays out as we do this. Um, I have, as you can imagine, listeners both you know in the philly and new jersey and new york area and we always joke about i never thought i'd be fans with friends with a cowboy fan <laughs> and i'm like i know yeah. bruce brings <laughs> us all together exactly yeah so keith i always like to start at the beginning so talk about growing up you've already shared with me that you grew up in kentucky but growing up what kind of music did your family listen to were they musical talk a little yeah. bit about that yeah my family's quite musical. I have to say that I didn't inherit um, great mu musical aptitude, but uh, a lot of musical appreciation. When I say my family uh, is quite musical, my father uh, was a gifted musician, and he actually worked in the music business all his life. And um, he was a professional singer, and he graduated from Juilliard um, and was classically trained and then ended up being a recording engineer. Um, and worked in New York City and did a lot of recording of a lot of famous jazz musicians and did a lot of commercial recording for advertisements and and a lot and some and some uh, soundtracks for movies. And uh, my oldest brother uh, inherited his musical gifts and and was a, uh, a gifted musician, still plays, um, and I can tell tell a couple of stories that actually involve Springsteen in a few minutes, but also involve oh, good. Yeah. Um, he's a bass guitar player um, and played with Steve Forbert, um, who you might be familiar sure, with. Sure, Romeo's it's, tune it's, is the yeah, most obvious. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so he was in his touring band for a few years. And, uh, he also played with Levon Helm uh, of the band after the band broke up. Levon had a band called The All-Stars and my brother Frank was uh, his bass guitarist, and he shared a stage with Bruce. That's actually you can watch it on YouTube. Even though my brother Frank is pretty fuzzy, I watch it from time to time. It's pretty <laughs> awesome. Bruce uh, singing up on Cripple Creek, and uh, I think they do Chuck Berry's Lucille, and it was at the Stone Pony. Oh, how and fun so, is that? Yeah, so I was I was um, always interested in music. And as a kid, I was really interested in the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And my dad, being classically trained, really kind of put his nose up on about rock music, most right. rock music. 
Um, but he loved the Beatles and, you know, their sense of melody and, um, you know, their in, in, innovativeness, their innovation uh, with uh, Sgt. Sar- Pepper uh, album. My, my dad could get behind that music. And so, you know, we had a lot of Beatles music in our house. And my brother, Frank, uh, was a child of the 60s actually the 50s, he was a teenager in the 60s. Um, and at the time we were living in New York, because uh, my uh, dad was working in Manhattan um, as an engineer, and we were living on Long Island. And my brother Frank played uh, a lot of Jimi Hendrix and Cream and uh, Yardbirds and uh, that kind of music. And I and Led Zeppelin, I can remember. The first, the first time I heard "Whole Lot of Love" when I was about six years old, and you know, I part of my I think my attraction to that era of music is um, probably due to the love of my oldest brother. You know, he was ten years older than me, and I kind of looked up to him as a god at the time. You know, sure. So I, I fixated on that music, and so that was that was really um, uh, an important sort of moment in my musical journey, and then. I'm going to pause you there just for a moment, Keith. Um, You've touched on a very common theme, and and I'm always amazed how often this comes up, but the amount of people, siblings play a big deal in this show. We often, we either have an older sibling who feels responsible for influencing the younger siblings, or like in your case, you're a younger sibling and you were influenced by your older sibling. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it, it just, it kind of runs into every once in a while, we find someone that they rebel against their older sibling. Uh, but in most cases, it's exactly what you're saying. That's the music they loved. So you, because of your love for, you know, your older sibling, it kind of connected to you. So I think that's really, really neat. Uh, and especially with 10 years between you, that 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 could be a pretty big gap. Yeah, yeah. And it, it no longer is, obviously. It's yeah. The age that, that disappears. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when I was six years old, he was 16. And, you know, from the time of Woodstock and, yeah, you know his. You know, he probably looked at me like I was a pest more mm-hmm. than anything. But anyway, uh, by the time I became a teenager and moved to Louisville, Kentucky, after my folks split up, you know, um, I have to say my musical taste was evolving, and you know, I was really trying to figure it all out. What I liked, I, I really liked a lot of that music from the sixties that I described um and i listened to a lot of stuff in the 70s like you know the almond brothers uh, queen i actually saw queen and then uh, here's the here's the lineup then lizzie is the opening act of queen nice uh, i saw that as a freshman in uh, in high school at louisville gardens and that was quite a show and i saw you know peter frampton was huge i listened to peter frampton and I listened to, you know, Journey was huge. And like, I remember when Van Halen came out, I listened to that. I didn't have a real appreciation for anybody's you know, sort of artistry. I didn't really pay attention to lyrics. I just, you know, 
the song sounded good. I listened to it. Okay. Um, and I, you know, sometime around uh, my senior year in high school, I started listening to my my taste started to evolve a little bit. I started listening a little bit to Jackson Brown uh, for some reason, and thought, yeah, this is a guy I I, I can I can delve more into. And I, I listened to Bob Seger. Uh, who was really popular at the time, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of the Mich- Michigan version, Midwest version of Bruce. Um, I remember when Born to Run came out. Um, I can actually remember the first time I, one of the first times I heard um, Born to Run, and I thought this is a cool song. Well, it's just a great song, but I never, I can't explain why it, I never was compelled to like really go deep at that time into Springsteen. You know, I was 12 or 13 years old. Sure. Not exactly the primo time. It wasn't like the Born in the USA hysteria where, you know, I hear a lot from fans who say, you know, the first time I got into Bruce was when I was, you know, 10 years old on the Born in the USA tour. I, you know, yeah. for the, Born, the, the Born to Run album came out and I, I liked it. I liked 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Um, when Darkness came out, I can remember, you know, hearing Badlands on the Louisville FM radio and maybe Candy's room and um, Prove It All Night. And I, and I liked that, but again, I didn't, it didn't really capture my imagination. Mm-hmm. And then um, I, I went off to college. I went to the University of Missouri to study journalism. And The River came out that fall. And right before The River came out, there was a guy on my dorm floor who gave me uh, The Wild and the Innocent. And I listened to it for the first time. And I had, I had actually heard, when I heard Rosalita the first time I played it, I'm like, I've heard that song before. Right. Um, but I didn't know it was Springsteen, I guess, but what I had heard it previously. And I, and I thought that album was really interesting. Uh, particularly Side 2 for all you youngsters who remember Sides on radio, on uh, on LPs. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, and so I love Side 2. I just sort of love the, um, you know, I had sort of that feel of Side 2 of Abbey Road where all the songs kind of blend into each other and it really feels like a, not one individual song, but three pieces that make up, make up a bigger thing. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that uh, and thought that was pretty cool. And then the river came out, and I heard the river, and I thought, wow, this is really good. And my buddy, who had given me The Wild and Innocent, he, uh, he had a copy of Darkness. He had a cassette of Darkness, and he gave that to me, and I listened to it. I was like, okay, I'm really, I really like this guy. I'm really starting to like this guy. And I think I read Dave Marsh's Born to Run. Uh-huh. Um, some point and maybe it was after the summer of my freshman year and I learned a little bit more about Bruce. You got to remember this was pre-internet. So if you wanted to do any research on anybody and really like read about them, you really had to do a lot of digging. Um, I, I'm so glad you brought that up when um, my big, I, I was like I shared with you, I graduated high school in 1977 so I was a child, a child of Top 40 Radio. All the things you were talking about, that's that's what I would listen to. Uh, my buddies were really in to um, Kiss, 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so you know, I I listened to a lot of Kiss, and and I picked up at a Montgomery Ward's of all places a Endless Summer, a Beach Boy eight track that had come out, and I was blown away by the harmonies and and Brian Wilson's magic, and so I became obsessed with the Beach Boys, and so I went digging like everything I could find in, in any record store I went to, I went to the bees and okay, beach boys, do I have this one? What can I find? Oh, I've never had this one and pick it up. And, and it is funny. I know we we're going to sound like old farts, but right. You didn't just go to the computer and type in Google. Hey, tell me about this guy, Bruce Springsteen, or I want to know about the beach boys. It was a lot of work to try to find things. Yeah, it sure was. I can remember the University of Missouri. Um, there was a little record store across the street from the main administration building, and I walked in there one afternoon between classes for the first time, and that store had bootlegs. And I, I suddenly realized I can buy a an, a live recording of Springsteen. Uh, this is amazing. And so I shelled out uh, some ridiculous amount of money for uh, a three-disc, a three-record set, of, uh, a live show from the Darkness Tour in San Francisco at Winterland. And I had no idea whether the quality was any good. And when I bought it, we weren't going to listen to it in advance. I took it home, put the needle on, and it actually was good. And it, it has since, you know, it's well-known. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, I was just like that, that blew me away. Uh, it was like, suddenly I, you know, I, I know a place where I can hear some audio, live audio of mm-hmm. Springsteen. And I went back there a few times. I got some more, more shows. I got the Angora show of Cleveland, uh, which was great. And, um, you know, wore that thing out. So yeah, you really had to struggle uh, to find, to find, uh, his music. So, you know, I got into him in college. Um, I didn't get to see him on the river tour. Uh, I really didn't have any money or mode of transportation to get to Kansas City or St. Louis. Sure. On that on that show, on that tour, and it was a it was a bummer. Uh, and then you know, Nebraska came out, and I was like, "What the heck?" Like a lot of people. Sure. But I actually liked it. I really liked it. And then um, it wasn't until '84. Before I saw him for the first time. So I wanted to ask, can you can you explain what about his music captivated you? Because it sounds like you've done, you know, you had a wide range, a lot of different rock bands and uh, diversity of music. You grew up, obviously, listening to jazz. Um, so is there something that, can you put in words why Bruce spoke to you? Yeah, I I think that um, initially it was the lyrics and the themes that he addressed in uh, the river and in darkness. Um, you know the sort of everyday characters and heroism, and there was something at stake in his lyrics and in his music that I I didn't find in. You know, REO Speedwagon or, you know, any of the other, you know, 
top 40 bands we were listening to, other people were listening to and I had been listening to. I mean, I love Don't Stop Believing by Journey, but it's not the same thing as Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, it's just a different thing. And yeah, so it is. I, 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 just, I just thought that there was, um, you know, an ambition and uh, um, sort of a literary quality to some of his best work, and I thought he was really good at writing lyrics that were direct, um, though I, I loved Greetings, just, you know, I, I did hear Greetings when I was just, when I was a junior in high school, and I remember thinking, uh, man, uh, this, this record's crazy, just in terms of the floridness of it. Um, but I, I never really got into it other than, hey, there's a great man for man cover. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, were, you, were you going to school for journalism? I was, yeah. Okay. I was at the University of Missouri. So, therefore... You know, you've already determined that you're you're interested in making a living writing, and right. and so that makes sense that his lyrics and that imagery that he builds um, would speak to you. Yeah, absolutely. It spoke deeply to me for that reason. Um, you know, I I wanted to write. Um, I valued words um, greatly. I was more comfortable writing than and editing and dealing with communication than any other thing um, that I could think of doing for a living. And so it sort of all sort of coalesced into this passion um, and, uh, you know, resonance. It really resonated with what he was doing. And then, you know, everybody says you got to see him live, and I didn't get to see him live until 84. But even before that, I was deeply invested in what he was doing and, wondering what was going to come next did so you saw him the first time in 1984 this was i assume after uh, born in the usa had come out yeah the album came out um i remember i bought it the day of the release uh i uh saw somewhere i saw him in the school of journalism library you know, they, this was again, pre-internet. They would, yes. they would have a list of, they would have a collection of newspapers from around the country that were like a day or two old. And I saw a USA Today, which was in its infancy, uh, that had a story about the fact that he was going on tour and that, uh, his tour, you know, the first set of dates were listed. And I thought, well, it's the summer. I was finishing up. I had one last semester at Mizzou, uh, and so I was going to school in summer, finishing up a few uh, last classes. And a buddy of mine from Mizzou was also a big Springsteen fan. And I looked at the dates and said, you know what? We ought to go to um, Cincinnati and see him. We can crash at my mom's house in Louisville. And, you know, it's only a two-hour drive. We just need to get from Columbia to Louisville to, to uh, crash and so we did and we saw him on the I think it was the fifth night of the tour so he played a couple of shows in Minneapolis and then uh, I think it was the second night of, mm-hmm. of Cincinnati run and I, it was great it was it was it was fabulous 
And I remember a lot of things about it, um, including the fact that in the encore, he played Street Fighting Man by the Stones, which was pretty cool. That is very cool. Um, I always like to preface this next question, Keith, with uh, I don't think the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is a fair barometer of your fandom because depending on where you live, when you were born, your economic situation, you know, it, it, it's a difficult. I mean, if if you're an upper middle class kid that was going to college in the 70s somewhere in Jersey, you know, there's a good chance you really racked up some shows. But uh, for the record, do you know how many times you've seen him live? I think <laughs> I think it's 22. OK. Um, and it's spread out over, you know several decades and there's a big gap sure uh between 85 and 92 um, i missed the tunnel of love tour i was working in wichita kansas mm-hmm. uh, the closest he came i think was austin um and i uh you know i was in the process of uh, uh saving up money to um you know start a life with my wife and i just didn't just couldn't get there yeah. on the uh, on a love tour, and uh, so I, you know, I, I saw him in '85 at the Cotton Bowl, uh, and then seven years elapsed, and then I saw him with the other band at Reunion Arena in late '92. So I didn't move to Dallas. Um, I guess my. Um, my wife and I got married in 84. We moved to Dallas in 86, but I wasn't that – I was a casual fan. And so I, I missed that show. And then when I was a big show and they were doing the reunion tour, um, something was going on with my son. I can't remember what it is now, but at the time it seemed more important than going seeing Bruce. Silly me. Um, so I didn't see him till the 2002 – um, rising tour when he came here to Dallas. That was the first time I saw him. And, um, and I, <laughs> we joke about, you know, I grew up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. That's three hours away from Houston. I graduated high school in 77. That means 78, 79, you know, 75, 76. He was only three hours away, <laughs> you know, uh, doing shows in Houston. Yeah. Like, yeah. Go back in time. Forget telling you know young Jesse to buy Apple stock. Go see Bruce in Houston. Oh yeah, <laughs> this reminds me of this reminds me of my high school years. You know, in '78 when he, when he was on tour for Darkness, he came to Louisville Gardens in the I think in like July '78, and a buddy of mine and I were like, "Hey, do you want to go see Bruce Springsteen? It's six dollars." I think it was six dollars for a ticket, and we're like, six dollars might as well have been a hundred dollars at yeah. that time for us. And I didn't, you know, if it had been Queen or Rush or you know somebody else, I probably would have figured out a way to do it. But at the time, yeah. I was like, I, there's no way I can do this. And now I think, what the hell? Exactly. And and I will tell you. Um... I, I, I cannot remember the guest now, and I, I'll, I'll think of it in a few minutes later, but um, just a couple of months ago, I had a guest on that um, actually saw the sh- – he wasn't at the show where 
Um, you know, so I've seen the future rock and roll and it's Bruce Springsteen, yeah. but it was during that time period he remembered oh seeing God. him. And, you know, and he looked over to his girlfriend and said, this is a show we're going to talk about the rest of our lives. Wow. And he's telling me, and I'm just so, just think, just two or three years ago, he was playing at all these clubs, and if I had known, I could have gone and seen him. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm exactly. like, there's, it, it, when you get that bug, you're always, I always use the sports analogy, um, when early in the game when you miss a field goal or miss an extra point, and you chase that, especially if you're the Cowboys this season, they do that a lot. Sure. But if you miss that extra point, you seem to be chasing it all game. I feel right. like Springsteen fans, no matter when you start watching him, you're always trying to chase to catch up for That's all the shows you didn't get to see. Yeah. yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about some of the experiences on going on the road <laughs> So and, and share. Do you have – yeah. A group of buddies you go with the shows with, or do you tend to just make friends there or go? Well, I do a bit of both, but I have one buddy who I went to college with, I mentioned earlier, um, who lives in Capel. Oh, how and his fun. Name is, his name is Craig Barrett, and uh, I hope he listens to this podcast. I haven't told him yet um, that I'm doing this, but he'll be thrilled. He and I have gone to so many shows together. I mean, he went with me to... Uh, the the first show in Cincinnati, and we saw him in St. Louis a few months later. We've seen him all over the country. Um, we <laughs> we probably the most memorable show we've seen together was on the reunion tour in September of '99. He talked me into a weekend that I'll talk about for the rest of my life, and that was. Uh, a three-day guys weekend where we flew to Chicago without a ticket for the show, um, arrived on a Saturday. It was late September. I think it was the last weekend of September. Uh, we went to Wrigley Field and watched the Cubs and the Pirates play an afternoon game. Then we went to his brother's in suburban Chicago and hung out for a couple hours. And then we drove to Green Bay to go to the Green Bay Packer Minnesota Viking game. And that was quite the scene. And oh, Craig, my buddy Craig, my buddy Craig is uh, is a huge cheesehead. And so um, we drove to Green Bay and we kind of partied and I was in my thirties and it was just a lot of fun and um, got very little sleep and went to that game and it was a really awesome game and I think the Packers came back uh, and beat the Vikings in the last couple of seconds because some of some far heroics and then we went back to Chicago and we had bought tickets you know, this is 1999 somehow we ended up getting tickets while we were in Chicago if I remember right over the weekend like in a Springsteen chat yeah. room or something and Craig Craig got these tickets and they were really crappy. They were like high up in the nosebleed section of, of the United center, which is huge, yeah. huge in, uh, arena. And so we thought, well, let's just go down to the ticket uh, window 
on Monday, that was the day of the show, let's go down there Monday morning and just kind of scope out the scene and see what's going on. And so the shows, the three nights in Chicago were all sold out, like most most shows on that tour. And so we didn't have high hopes, but we got we got there, and there was a line of a small line of people waiting to see if more tickets would be released. And we left and got some pizza, drank some beer, came back about three in the afternoon. And I just went up to the the window and it opened up and I said, Hey, have you released any more tickets? And they had, they had finished the configuration of the stage and they had held out some seats and lo and behold, uh, they had seats center stage, 17th row. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, so I just bought, I bought them immediately. And then, so we had two tickets we needed to unload and we sold them. So we go into the arena thinking we're the, you know, this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, we get a beer, we look at the souvenirs, we go in the restroom uh, we come out, it's time to go down on the floor and you need a wristband. And when we go to look for the tickets, I realized I don't have the tickets anymore. Oh no. Yeah. And so we rush back into the restaurant. They're not there. We go to the uh, souvenir stand. They just look at us like, what are you talking about? You know, cause we're asking, did you see any tickets? Thankfully, Craig realizes you purchase these with a debit card. I'll bet there's a record of them. So he goes to the, <laughs> we go to the ticket window and the, and the, woman says, yeah, we can trace those tickets. And they we go to the bowels of the arena and we go to some guy who like pulls out this, I don't know, 10 foot long piece of paper with all these transactions and finds it and says, yeah, we'll print out new ones. No problem. We'll escort you down to your seats. So it's like 10 minutes before the show. We get down on the 17th floor, 17th row and there are two guys sitting in our seats, a father and son, and they have like military style binoculars with them. Yeah. Like they probably were in the last row and turns out they found the tickets on the bathroom floor. Oh, wow. <laughs> so they had fallen out of my pocket while I was washing my hands or something, but it's a story we tell all the time. Oh, sure. Sheer, sheer like panic attack. Like oh, yeah. traveled all the way to yeah. So anyway, the show was fantastic. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, he played a killer, killer version of where the bands are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time I've ever heard that live. It was just, it was just awesome. So that's that's a story that will always stick out. That is a great story. I um, the closest I have is um, I I I went um to at the last moment. Um, the Devil's Dust tour. He was coming here at yeah, Grand Prairie, sure. right? Yeah. yeah. And so at the last minute, I said, I asked Linda, that's my wife. I like, I really want to go, and she's like, Yeah, go, go, go. So I got a ticket, and I was at um, the lower level, but the very last row, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I am not exaggerating. To my right was the aisle, and to my left was a pillar. I was at a single seat and, you know, but I'm there, I'm excited. And a guy comes up and says, do you want better seats? And I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, cause, you know, Cause I'm thinking, oh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, it's just 
a scalper. And then, like, it takes me two minutes to go, wait a minute, you're in the building. It can't be a scalper. So I went, hi, yeah, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'd love tickets. So so he said, yeah, sure. And so I ended up getting, and I, you will get this joke. They, they were not as good as tickets as Moose Johnston had, but they were better tickets than Babe Laufenberg had. Totally got it. <laughs> I was right in the middle. And it was the first time ever when I wasn't sure if they were saying Moose or Bruce <laughs> before the show. Yeah. So yeah. that is awesome. Um, I, I know. <laughs> so that you had to tell, uh, they had to tell the son and father, like, yeah, go. Sorry. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah, get out of they here. went back to their seats. Yeah, that but, is. Uh, yeah, they, I think they thought they had won the lottery. Yeah, sure. Uh, Why wouldn't have and, they? And then you know, Craig and I have seen uh, a bunch of other shows. Uh, we went to uh, we went to the reunion, the free show. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you at that show in um, April of 2014? Yes. It was for the NCAA tournament. Uh, yes. Standing in the cold rain. You know, um, your um, the cre- uh, I think it's Walensky. I think he mm-hmm. was working for the Morning News at that time. He was, he was. and he wrote the review. And I, I, I stand by. He said it's not the longest show, and it certainly isn't. But he says you could make the argument this might be one of the best shows of his career because of the Absolutely. intimacy of the audience how few of people and electricity um i tell people it was a very um because so much of the audience were not necessarily springsteen fans so he made a very you know friendly audience friendly set list it's the only time i've heard glory days and dancing in the dark but it was truly one of the best shows ever yeah it stands out to me as probably the best show overall that I've seen um, in terms of uh, just the experience being outside, um, braving the elements and the interaction he had with the crowd. He clearly knew that a lot was at stake because, you know, it's it's the NCAA um, thing that broadcasting it or streaming it or whatever. And, he just put on a hell of a show. And the funny thing about that is that, um, you know, that was that was the first U.S. show after he had been touring, I think, in Australia and um, overseas. Um, and then he was going to embark on a, you know, a, a tour around the United States playing some outdoor sheds. Uh, he played the Woodlands in Houston. Mm-hmm in May and those tickets went on sale um, before the reunion free show was yes. announced. And so I, I went out and I bought Woodlands tickets and was really happy. I got, I had, a, I had some tickets to go down to see that show. And I told Rob, Robert Wolanski that he said, came into work that day after buying those tickets and he mm-hmm. said, Hey, listen, I, um, we're about to break news that he's putting on a free show in Dallas. I'm like, Tom, why did I spend the money? But uh, it was great to see him in Houston. But well, And I was at that show, too. That was a great show. Yeah, um, he did. The, he did, um, you know, the sign request, uh, One Step Up. Uh, 
Um, oh, he did a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, a yeah, lot he of did, stuff. Uh, Nothing, uh, all or nothing. Or, yeah, I want. Yeah, oh, nothing at all. Yeah, now, nothing at all. Yeah, yeah. Now, he did that, and he played back, back streets, and it was yeah. great. And so I, I, I stand a little bitter because um, I'm a big fan of um, this is your sword, you know, from High Hopes, and he yeah. was set yeah. to play that, and then they scratched oh, out and played Seeds because it's got the word Houston in it. Yeah, I was like, dang it! Yeah. I was so close to getting one of my wish list yeah. songs. Um, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, on the on the reunion uh, show, the thing that I remember about that was, I thought when it was announced, you know, and I, I'm working at the morning news across the yeah. street. I went, you know, a couple of days before the show. I on my lunch hour, I walked around the the uh, the lawn on the street. Uh, just sort of, you know, I, I just walked the perimeter and I thought, okay, where would be the best location to go mm-hmm. to get the closest shot at getting to the stage? And so I found a spot sort of in the back and uh, I went and I got, the, the weather was terrible that morning on Sunday, but I showed up really early, just insanely early mm-hmm. uh, with my buddy Craig thinking we don't want to, we don't want to leave anything to chance. And we were, we were in the front row for that show. That's the closest I'd ever been mm-hmm. at the time. And it was just nuts. And when he comes on stage to sweet Georgia Brown, and yeah. then when they start out with jump, I remember tweeting like who had <laughs> jump on that. And, and yeah. someone made the joke like, um, Bruce destroying brackets even this late, you know, because yeah. of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, and that was, uh, you know, they have the full video on YouTube. Yeah. You can see the whole show. I've and it is it. such, yeah. Yeah, I actually got my hand on his guitar during the Born to Run uh, yeah. moment. And then at one point, I think it's right before high hopes or right mm-hmm. before uh spirit in the night he he grabbed a beer out of my buddy craig's hand and drank it oh very cool <laughs> craig, craig says what are you doing taking my beer he was uh he was happy and not happy at the same time exactly really cool. yeah <laughs> um were you lucky enough to get to broadway i was and you know, you talked a, uh, a little while ago about, you know, the circumstances that prevent or allow you to see Bruce. And right. Um, I, I really lucked out um, uh, in being able to see him. And then also just, you know, sort of my in my stage of my career, you know, the ability to be able to afford to go to him was just a real blessing. Um, I, I tried through the lottery. A number mm-hmm. of times to, yeah. to get get to it, and I failed. And um, you know, they kept they kept having these sort of waves of their there's another round yeah. of shows. And so, um, in December of 2017, a buddy of mine who I had worked who had worked for me and uh, when I was a, a sports editor and at the news, I had worked in sports earlier in my career. This guy who left journalism, uh, he uh, Facebooked me and said, 
hey, uh, do you want to go see Springsteen on Broadway? I'm like, are you crazy? Of course I do. Do you have tickets? And he's like, yeah, my girlfriend and I got tickets and she doesn't want to go. I said, sure. And then I said, where are the seats? And he said, I think they're in the second row. Oh, wow. Are you okay, are you okay with that? And what he meant was, are you okay paying? Yeah, that paying much money, yeah. And I was like, yeah, absolutely I am. Uh, and so I went in June of, eight, of uh, 18, I saw him, uh, and was blown away. And then thought, well, that that's going to be as good as it gets. And then um, another round of tickets before I went to that show, I think in the spring of 18, another round of tickets went on sale. It was like the last, uh, the last possible time to buy tickets, uh, at least on the primary market. And I got into the, I got into the lottery just on a lark. And I, um, I tried to get tickets for the last show of the, of the tour thinking that'll be a special night. Um, but when I tried to, you know, the, the clock just sort of spun on my, on my uh, monitor. And so I quickly canceled and chose my birthday and got mm-hmm. tickets and ended up getting uh, sitting almost in the identical seats. I sat in June and my wow. wife and I got to sit on my birthday and that was really extraordinary. It snowed six inches that night. Uh, freak snowstorm in November paralyzed uh, New York City, and Springsteen almost uh, arrived after his start time. Uh, we stood outside thinking, "Hey, maybe he'll get out and you know greet us." Sure. And they told us he's running late. He's not even you know he's on the other side of town, and he he pulled up at seven fifty. Um, wow. And it was it was nuts, but it was a great show. It was a great show. Yeah, um, yeah. I was lucky enough, kind of the same thing. I, I had there was a lot of it being the internet. There were a lot of people complaining, you know, about oh he's forgotten the, you know, the common man, and oh this is a money grab, and blah 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 blah, and, um, and you know I had been very vocal on both the podcast and on social media that look this guy has the right to do whatever he wants he I, he has given us so much joy and whatever creative muscles he wants to work on you know we should support and you know i i would make the same argument that there are people that get in the lottery every show and they don't think about well, I should let somebody else get their elbows on the stage. No, they do it. Yeah. I said, it, you know, we're all greedy in our own way. And so um, a, um, you know, a guy active in social media pinged me and said, do you not want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I want to go, but I can't get afford a ticket. And he goes, well, what can you afford? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe a mid-range. I'd have to talk to my wife and – and he came back and said, here's a couple of dates. You can get this for X amount. Um, do you want it? And I'm like, let me go beg my wife. And, you know, Linda's like, okay, we have no business spending the money, but I can't tell you no. Yeah, you know, this yeah. is just too, 
to um, you know once in a lifetime, and so I was able to go too, and and just loved it. I was just so blown away um, by it. Um, as a writer, what did you think of his his autobiography? Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought. I um I thought it was really really good. Um, I I it exceeded my expectations. Um, I thought that. Uh, the amount of revelation in it about his mental struggles and his his um, you know battles with his father and um, you know, the stress that that went through the East Street Band at times um, and you know there, there were a lot of insights. There's a lot of stuff that clearly he did not share wouldn't share and he said that in the book that you know um he's chosen what to share and there's because of people's feelings and discretion he's going to hold back on other stuff i i thought it was really good i thought you know there were some people you know some critics who who were like he he has too many times in the book where he uses all caps uh all capital letters to make a point and you know that's that family tradition uh, I guess on a technical, from a technical standpoint, it is. But um, I thought the 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 overall product was really, really good. Um, I thought that there were some things I wish had been um, uh, focused on a little bit more. It felt like there was such a build up between the beginning of his life and his musical journey and his early struggles to gain traction in his career and then the boarding USA, um, you know, hysteria. And then it, there's not a lot of detail about that time between, um, you know, ton, the tunnel of love tour and the, uh, the, the, uh, band that he, Formed in '92. I mean, there's a little bit, but there's not. I, it sort of left me with a lot of questions about, like, well, what's going on? What was really going on there? Yeah, uh, I, you know, I wanted a couple things. I wanted one him to cover, kind of letting the band go, and I yeah, was curious what yeah. he would say about his divorce. And I thought he was a very vocal and open about the divorce being his fault and that how, you know, him sharing, you know, sitting there with his beautiful wife and going, it's, if she really knew me, she wouldn't be here. I mean, that depression and that self I am. And then, and between him and little Steven, you get the feeling that, um, there are a lot of egos involved and that um, I think if they had to do it over again, Lil Steven has said that, he would never have left the band. They yeah. never would have broke yeah. up. He said, um, you know, he was, and, and, and he, you know, that he says, and he tells bands that now, look, go do your solo stuff. Go get there, but don't break the band up. Stay there yeah. and stay in each other's lives. Because you're going to want to come back. And so I thought he was pretty honest about that. I was surprised 
not in a bad way, but he's he's very confident and almost egotistical. Like he talked about, um, it's his, you know, like they are, like I've often said, well, I wonder why he never lets Neil sing a song. Or, you know, like Gary had a couple of solo albums. Why didn't Gary do a song? Nope. Bruce is the leader. It's his band. They're his backup band. And it's the Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band. And absolutely that's absolutely the case. Yeah. And and I'm not criticizing, I was just kind of surprised and just the honesty of it was enough to make me um cuz I would have loved more gossip stories. Like the story about him and Patty meeting Frank and Frank loving Patty's voice. That was a great story. You would have loved yeah, to hear yeah. like we're the world recordings. Like okay, talk about that night. Let's, you know, we've always heard you showing up by yourself, you know, but like, but he, it really was about sharing with himself and I loved it. Yeah. Um, Did uh, did you read the, um, you know, a couple of years earlier, I guess it was in 2012, uh, the Peter Ames Carlin. Yes. uh, What do you think of that book? I thought it was okay. Um, I did not, I, I I feel like I need to after reading the autobiography. I feel like I need to go back and read it again. Um, yeah. I read I read Michael Pell's book because because Bruce told me to. But in the autobiography, right, he says this is my side. Bruce, uh, you know, Mike wrote his own book, and I urge you to go read his side of it. And his book was too dry for me. There was a lot of um. It, there was a lot of about the lawsuits and it was, mm-hmm. it, it came from a perspective of, at least for me, it read as look at all the things I had done for Bruce and he did not appreciate it Yeah. yeah. versus Bruce was, this is the matter of fact. So I, I, I need to go back to read Peter Carlin's and get that fresh perspective. What did you think of it? Yeah. I, at the time I thought it was really, uh, really good. Yeah. I thought that um, it showed Springsteen's in a in a sort of multi-dimensional perspective. I think I think you know I haven't read it in several years, but yeah. I, I remember I think near the end there's a anecdote about soundcheck in Atlanta, and uh, they're they're having a problem with the spotlight and Springsteen like ultimately like choose out the light man mm-hmm. or, you know, it's Kurt with a light man, basically to tell him, you know, what the hell is going on here or something. And you get a little bit of insight into at that, at that, I can only imagine that on that stage and at that level of fame where you have your reputation and people are paying tons of money to see you and you have this expectation of greatness for yourself and your band mm-hmm. that it would probably be difficult to work for the guy, that's yeah. my guess, in some ways. And mm-hmm. there would also be huge benefits, but it, would be, it wouldn't always be um, peaches and cream. Yeah. My guess. Well, and and that's, that's just my reading of the situation. No, I think a um, couple things. One... He is flat sad. Um, you know, he tells the story about a band member, and he won't give the name, that was kind of talking about making more money. And he said, do you know who's the highest paid 
person who plays your instrument, I will tell you, you're looking yeah, at him in yeah. the mirror. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And, and I, I remember can, that. I just like that, um, you know, because, yes, I'm confident. Yes, I'm paying you. Um, I will tell you this. I don't know if you've gone back enough, but Dan French is a guy who's been on the podcast multiple times. And the first time he was on, he tells this great story that I will not repeat here because it's worth listening to about it. the first time he went from U.K. to Germany to see Bruce hitchhiking. And I, how do you hitchhike across the English Channel? He said, "Well, you you show up at the where the you know the you know where the um, the ship is, and you ask for someone to give you a ride." But um, he said, for this long story, it's it's great hearing it. He ends up being at the sound check, and he watched Bruce, the band play "Hungry Heart." over and over again, the introduction, while he's looking at each part of the stadium at the arena. He is going in over and over to hear the sound. And I said, well, I've always heard that in dances, I'm telling you. I don't know if he does it now, but he did it then. And it was fascinating to watch. So he's, he takes That's amazing. Yeah. Um, God, I've kept you over an hour. I'm so sorry. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> okay, this is great. great. Since we've reached almost an hour, I decided to break this um, discussion with Keith into two parts. So come back on uh, tomorrow and you'll hear the second half. We pick up the third part of the trilogy, Western Stars, and talk more Springsteen with the Dallas Morning News editor, um, Keith Campbell. So till then, see you tomorrow. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, that listening Bruce. Set Listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.